Welcome again to this installation of the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leader Podcast. I'm Paul Wilkinson, Adult Minister Groups Associate at the Brentwood Campus here with Armin Oganesian. Hello. And we're here to talk about 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. The title of the sermon is Gospel Transformation. You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. So this sermon series has been about how to make disciples and it's really unpacked the disciple-making strategy for the Brentwood Baptist family. Uh, The disciple-making strategy really is just a uh, pictorial image of the Great Commission and Matthew 419 or Mark 117, whichever text you prefer. But the uh, conjunction, if you look in all of the classrooms on your campuses and um, for those on other campuses in the Brentwood campus, it may not be in the classroom, but we all have these little cards that have uh, spiritual challenge questions on one side and the picture on the other. But the middle of that picture is just trying to retain the Great Commission. We want to be disciples of Jesus, making disciples with Jesus. Because we're trying to grab that promise mm-hmm. that Jesus makes, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And then what circles around that, that looks like fins or propellers, is just Matthew 4.19, Mark one seventeen. Follow me and I'll make you fishers for people. So the way we uh, try to, filter is not the right word, the way we try to frame that for our church is to say, believe and follow Jesus to be changed mm-hmm. by Jesus and to live on mission with Jesus. That to us was Matthew four nineteen, Mark one seventeen. And so to be a disciple, you do those things, become those things, maybe better stated. And then to be a disciple maker, you just help others to do that. Yeah. Um, and then of course, all of this is couched in prayer, scripture and Sabbath. We aim it at the lost and searching and we mature while we multiply. We don't wait on disciple making certificates or licenses <laughs> yeah. or like Armin PhDs in theology. We make disciples all the way um, as we're going about our business. And then he looks at mine on the wall and rebukes me for it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the disciple making strategy is just simple and biblical, but that's what we want to be. That's what we're called to be as believers. So whatever we're talking about, it really ought to be couched somewhere within that. And then so to go next level to how do we actually do those things? We take that believe and follow, be changed by and live on mission with and came up with three gospel categories, for lack of a better term, uh, for how we want to do those. So how do we help others believe and follow through gospel conversations? And we talked about that that last week with the woman at the well, calling people to repentance, sharing the truth of the gospel, sharing our testimony and so forth. And then living on mission with Jesus, we say is gospel engagement is that we engage our world with the truth of the gospel through charity and service, all in the name of Christ to the glory of God. So how do we be changed by Jesus? We call it gospel transformation. Remember in the text is that Jesus promises to make them, not to um, show them a way to exert supreme effort so that they become disciples magically, but he's going to make them into fishers for people. Mm. And so we say gospel transformation. The gospel transforms us into something different. And that's what we want to highlight today in this first Peter text. So Armin, where do you want to start in first Peter two, nine through 17? I think starting at, uh, 
you are a new creation, you are reborn, you are new, uh, is the best place. And since you're reborn, you crave new things, you're nourished by new things, um, I, that's a great place to start. Yeah. And I, I hear a lot of people when I share faith with them who are not in the faith say, I'm going to be bored. I'm going to have to give up most of what I love yeah. to do. And one of the hardest things to do as a leader, and all of you with your life groups are doing this for every person in your life group, is they can't imagine who they're going to become. Hmm. Of course, if you stay the same person and try to live like a Christian, you're going to hate your life. Yeah. You're going to hate it because you don't have the spiritual power to do it. Yeah. But what we as group leaders try to help people understand and what we as gospel witnesses try to help people understand is that Christ is going to make you into a different person. Yeah. You're going to be a different being. Really. And as you look back on the things you used to love or as the Puritans would say, have affections for, you're going to despise it. And this new person that Christ has made you into is going to set their affections on more wonderful, more righteous things. Yeah. And even here, Peter says you are new, you are reborn and now desire spiritual milk. So you once desired a different kind of milk and now you have new desires, new affections. You want different things because you are new. Um, I think that's the key, one of the key indicators of being a reborn is your desires have changed. Not that you don't struggle with your old desires. Even Paul struggled with his old desires. But now it's like overarching. Your life has changed and focused. Now I see Christ is beautiful and desirable and I'm moving towards pleasing him. At once I saw myself and this world is pleasing and desirable and I'm trying to move away from that, or I now despise that. And even when I fall into my old sin, I despise it and repent of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was teaching John four this morning, had to fill in for a group. Armin did as well. Yeah. So we don't just come on here and, and try to dictate what's taught. We try to give some avenues yeah. to run on, do some of the lifting for you so you can pray over your groups and what your people are becoming. But the thing that stuck out to me most in the woman at the well as I was teaching it is Jesus says, uh, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Yeah. And that is not something that you say as an immature or a, or even an unbeliever, obviously. It's something you say as a maturing believer yeah. Yeah. that what I, I get fed by, I get nourished. Uh, Armin just brought up the spiritual milk. Milk is nourishing. Yeah. And what nourishes me is to do the will of God, to be obedient. Uh, the woman of the well was offered water, nourishing, refreshing, yeah. life-giving. Yeah. And so as a believer, our teaching ought to be taking our people to the point where it is most nourishing and fulfilling for them to be obedient to the things of Christ. Yeah. And again, that's the Great Commission, isn't it? Teach yeah. them to obey all that I commanded you. Yeah. And what you're obeying is the Word of God. Yeah. You're going to be doers of the Word. Once you've heard the Word, you have this new affection. Your legalism you want creeping. <laughs> you want to. It's not legalism because it's something you want. It's not I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps and I am doing it. But in the power of the Spirit, I have these new desires and I want to have affections knowing that Christ has placed these desires and placed these uh, restrictions upon me so I may flourish as a human being as I was created to do and walk with God as I was created to do. And I'm becoming increasingly convinced, Armin, um, with exactly what you're saying, that there is no category for the Bible in which someone claims knowledge or understanding and doesn't yeah. uh, manifest that in obedience. So in other words, you can't tell me you understand a thing if you're not doing it. Yeah. The Bible seems to link those two realities together. Yeah. Now, there is knowledge that can lead to guilt. Paul talks about that. When the law came, it brought knowledge of God. They yeah. rebelled. 
And so guilt was heaped up upon them. But when we talk about that next layer, not just content or bits of information, but when we truly understand it, I don't think the Bible has a category for understanding that doesn't lead to obedience. Yeah. If you don't obey, then you don't understand. Yeah. For example, if I teach you not to steal and you do tax evasion, I come to you and I say, hey, why did you do tax evasion? I told you not to steal. You'd be like, oh, that's not stealing. The problem there isn't that you're not applying God's word. It's you didn't really understand what stealing was and you're still practicing it. So when you're doing it, and you're obeying it, when you know it, you naturally start obeying it. Of course, your flesh sometimes desires the opposite, and you're aware of that, though consciously, as Paul was. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And so, so how do we overcome that then? If I want to do a thing, but I can't do a thing, how do I get the thing done? Yeah. What yeah. would you say? Yeah, prayer, focusing on Christ. Um, you can't, by your you have to switch desires with desires, with fresh desires, with powerful new desires. You can't just say, I'm going to stop doing this thing I once loved doing and leave that spot empty. You have to put something in that spot. Like in Indiana Jones, when he switches out, you have to put something there. So where you used to find fulfillment in going out every night, you now find that fulfillment in Christ and the fellowship at church. So what is your bag of sand that you can switch out for the idol to not trigger the trap? Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's Armin's teaching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when, as Peter's going on, when you become a new person, you enter into a new nation, right? You once didn't have a people, now you are a people. So you've entered, you've been reborn in the early part of the chapter, chapter one, and now you're part of a new family and a new people. It, well, I'm still this from William Lane Craig, but he talks about, and I experienced this in some ways, you go to seminary and you take a theology class, and it's often God, Christ, and humanity will be the title of a lot of these theology courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's different in the the pure fruit of Aberdeen over in mm-hmm. Scotland where Armin was, but here in the States, sometimes it can be that way. And the Holy Spirit is, in many ways, mm-hmm. to quote the Francis Chan title of a very good book, uh, The Forgotten God. Yeah. So when I was teaching doctrine here before I ever became an intern at Brentwood Baptist and I was just some weirdo uh, in the middle of his PhD <laughs> studies in philosophy that wanted to teach in the local church, I teach an 11 o'clock doctrines class. Yeah. And I taught on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit one day and I was just blown away by the disparity between what we say we want our Christian lives to look like mm. and the amount of time we spend talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Because the work of the Holy Spirit just is to help us and empower us to live those Christian lives. So here's a quick rundown of some of the texts I've collected about the work of the Holy Spirit. Reveals the scripture and reveals them to us, illuminates them for our lives, regenerates us, baptizes us into the body, indwells us as our identity, offers assurance of salvation, power for spiritual living, gives us a spiritual gift, evidences the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and actions, convicts us of sin, demonstrates the truth of Christ to us, teaches us how to pray, intercedes for us in prayer when we're not praying what we ought to be praying, anoints Mm -hmm. for ministry, unifies the church, perseveres us until the second coming, comforts us and helps us in our life. Yeah. Uh, if you want to live a more bold Christian life, and this is what I shared with the group this morning, is that Satan's work against us as disciple makers is to say, 
Look at your life. Look at the blunders you've made. Sure, God's forgiven you, but your life is so ugly that there's no way Mm. you're good enough to lead somebody else to be a disciple. And that's Satan's work. God's work, Christ's work, the Spirit's work is to say, your life is a mess. And that's why I'm bringing this other broken person to you, Mm. (laughs) because they need to hear your story in particular. And the Spirit gives us all the power, all the assurance, all the fruit, all the teaching to be able to help somebody else live in faith. So you want to be a disciple maker? then you need to shore up and invest in your own spiritual health. And if you don't know the Holy Spirit, then you need to get plugged in to to these works, to the scripture, to the prayer, to the community, fasting, and and whatever else it takes for you. Yeah, going off what you're saying, ultimately, in your flesh, you are inward focused. You are looking at yourself and the things, or Satan's meaning you look in yourself and what you've done, but the Spirit makes you outward focused, first of all, points you to Christ, and then points you to how you can minister to others. So where the Christian life is always outward focus. Inward focus, maybe once in a while to make sure you're in line with the scriptures, in line with those things, and you and you know, repenting of your sins. But mostly you're outward. This life isn't about me, and this life is about Jesus Christ, and I am gonna minister to his church. Yeah, doesn't the Bible say something about not putting a blanket on a lamp or something like yeah. that? <laughs> Just kidding. Do you think, Armin, that we can live on mission without being transformed? No. I or see. without maybe in the process of transforming? Yeah, I think we're always in the process of being transformed. But there is nothing to offer an individual if you're not being transformed. There's, you, there's no, you can't go up to someone and say, I was here and now I'm here. And this is how I got there. If you're still at the beginning. Yeah. If you're still, you need to have something in you to offer somebody else, right? You need this, you need wisdom and thinking and thoughts to offer someone else. If you're just like everyone else, you're just like this world, you have nothing different to offer. So unless you're being transformed, you can't do God's mission. Yeah. And as our preachers like to say, Mike Glenn says it a lot. I heard Jay Strother say it. Uh, last Wednesday night at the Coffee House Theology, they do their teaching on Wednesday night yeah. ministry. The world gets angry at the church because we don't look different enough. Yeah. They show up looking for something to give them an identity and purpose, and they find something that's very similar to the rest of their, yeah, that's dead their on. life. Yeah, that's yeah. dead on. Sometimes we think, oh, the world is angry at us because we don't give in to their thinking. They don't, yeah. People are starving for something genuine and new not new, but something genuine and not what they find on Netflix and not what they find on social media. They are starving for that. And they've sometimes heard the church has that. And when they come to the church and they see, oh, nope, this place is just like everywhere else, they get upset and frustrated thinking, now I have nowhere. So that's part of the key of church Christian life is I am not of this world. And that's what Peter says. I am not of this country. I am different. This is not my home. I don't live for these things here. I live for a different world, a different home. Yeah, and that different world is a spiritual world. I love John 15, 1 through 8, that um, you know we're commanded to teach others to obey and make disciples. And then we're told in John 15 that we can't do anything apart from Christ. So abiding in him, being in touch with the Holy Spirit is what empowers us to live these supernatural yeah. spiritual lives. And I, I like where you were headed with that, Armin is that we are we are not ultimately of this world. We're in it, 
but our hope is in something greater. And I think Peter elevates that for these Jews of the dispersion who are under persecution. It says, don't forget the hope of the eternal life we have to come. Yeah. And when we're talking about being on mission, what greater witness than when your car breaks down or when something horrible happens for you to stand, not that you don't cry, not that you don't have struggles, but to stand and say, this here is not my hope. This world is not my hope. My hope is elsewhere, right? I, I live for a different world. And I live for different goals. And that just, A, that brings Christ incredible glory that you are worthy of my life and these situations aren't. But it also demonstrates to the rest of the creation there is a greater hope and his name is Jesus Christ. The Christian life ought to look strange to people. Paul yeah. talks about, I learn how to abase, I learn how to abound, because in all things I have this unsurpassed joy in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The way we respond to trials and tribulations and frustrations and suffering ought to be weird yeah. to people. Yeah. It ought to be, maybe peculiar is a better word. Yeah. I've, had, I've had a number of people get frustrated with me when I call them weird. Yeah. Maybe I should call them peculiar. Yeah. Uh, I like the weird term, but... <laughs> May we're a peculiar people, and and we ought not run from that. We ought to we ought to live into it and fulfill it. Yeah, and that goes back to the analogy that Peter himself has the, of two nations. If I'm an immigrant to Belarusia and I can speak the language and I'm just like everyone else, there's nothing that says, "Oh, this guy, this guy isn't from here." But if I if I don't know the customs, I have different customs, I have different ideas. That says to everyone else, "This is not my home. I am not from here." So that's what you want, right? You want to be declaring to everyone, I'm not from here. This is not my home. Yep. That's great. You notice them by their differences. Yeah. So are we, the church, being different enough? Is your teaching driving your people to be peculiar and different enough? Yeah. We, we always need to um, submit to that and be humble to that. All right. So part of that living for a different world, living in a different hope, doesn't negate the fact that we're living in this world under authorities within this world. So Peter gets into that around verse 13 and says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So let's say somebody uh, wants to be an instigator in your groups and says, do I really have to submit to, to everything government does? How, how would you respond? Yeah, I think even Peter himself has that little um that little caveat where he says when it punishes evil and declares good, uh if it's declaring good evil um or it's declaring evil good, you certainly don't, right? Even in that even Peter has that caveat. So you follow the institutions that God's placed over you as much as they align with God's word and even in Acts Again, Peter himself in Acts 5 says, we should we follow man or God in the same way? Um, and there is the Sanhedrin, right? He's brought before the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin tells him, hey, stop preaching, stop preaching God's Christ. And he says, no, I can't do that. I can't follow man. I must follow God. So here there is even in the text itself, but in a greater caveat that God has placed these institutions above me. But if these institutions try to be God or try to usurp God's word or ethics, I certainly don't follow them there. Yeah, and I love what it says at Acts 5. So you read verse 29. We must obey God rather than people. 
And then he's just all in their face about you guys murdered Jesus. <laughs> well, I love how he ends it there in verse 32, that we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so, again, we see this Holy Spirit yeah. tied to our obedience, um, tied to the power to to be the obeying ones that we're called to be. So we, we don't follow these institutions. I think that here's the answer we give to people. We don't follow these institutions when they violate our Christian conscience. Yeah. But here's the hard part for the Christian. Do you have a Christian conscience? Not just yeah. does it bug you or bother you, but have you been plugged into the word, into community, mm. into prayer and so forth, such that you can honestly say that your conscience is that of Christ? Yeah. Uh, so that's a, a, an incredible amount of introspection. Yeah. And for example, we can even think of abortion, right? So certainly I'm not going to follow those laws. You know, I, I mean, that's a clear, clear image of, yeah, you, you have usurp the dignity God has given to man, and I can't follow that law. So some of the language around that is very interesting. That subject to is hupotasso, and that human institution there, the word institution is katesis, which means creation. So be subject to every human creation, essentially, is what it says, and then it's rendered uh, accept the authority, accept the authority of, or submit to the authority of. Uh, so I like what the Expositor's Bible Commentary says about this, because like Armin mentioned, it's a qualified. I mean, the same Peter who's writing this to the Jews of the dispersion is the same Peter who stood in the face of the Sanhedrin yeah. and uh, accused them of murdering Messiah. So it's um, it's the same guy. So there has to be a nuance or a qualification here. And I think Armin's hit the nail on the head. The qualification is the violation of the Christian conscience. And so I like what the Expositor's Bible Commentary says on this. Lest the reader view Peter's prescription as unquestioning obedience or spiritual compromise. So what he's saying is so that you don't view Peter's prescription as unquestioning obedience or spiritual compromise. Peter's exhortation is framed in terms of doing wrong and doing right. The context is guided by the issue of punishment for wrongdoing. Thus, this has to do with criminal justice. And so the idea is that we support these institutions because they have been ordained to punish evil and punish mm. righteousness. And ideally, when it's functioning properly, it's obedient to a general moral law, natural yeah. law, something like Romans 2 yeah. would have for us. So we do follow. We do submit. Even if it's with policies and things we don't like, we still submit until the point where we're attacked like the Sanhedrin. Don't do such and so in Christ's name. Yeah. And then we draw the line. Yeah, and then exactly. we draw the line. I think abortion is a great example of that. Yeah. And you see some of these Catholic institutions having to uh, struggle or shut their doors or if they have the money to do lawsuits. And then other institutions as well, um, if, if they're not providing uh, contraception yeah. or money for abortion or, or yeah. what have you. So it's difficult. And so they're taking a stand in Christ's yeah. name. So the last thing I want to do today is tie in this royal priesthood to some of what we talked last week about the Samaritans with their temple on Mount Gerizim and then the Jews with their temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus' response to this woman at the well was that we don't worship here or there. We worship in spirit and truth because God yeah. is spirit. And then I, we continued to argue that the New Testament believer becomes the temple of God as we're indwelt by this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, with all those works that we mentioned above. Mm. And I think this royal priesthood gets to that same reality yeah. where the Holy of Holies was reserved for the high priest once a year to go in and make atonement for Israel. 
But as we know, when Christ was crucified, the curtain was torn. Yeah. And this uh, mediator of high priest is taken away because we have the one high priest, which is Jesus Christ. And so we have been a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. So we are the temple of God proclaiming the excellencies of God for redeeming us, putting us back into right relationship when we didn't deserve it. Yeah, and if you roll all the way up to 2-1, roll the way back, this is what you once were. This is when you were in darkness. You loved malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And then you were reborn, and now you are a priest in God's temple, and you are in marvelous light. So part of your witness is your person to tell people, hey, I was once like this, now I'm like this. I was once in darkness, now I'm light. I was once a slanderer, but now I'm a priest for Christ. And so are you seeing the connection when we when we hint at you can't really live on mission authentically or effectively if you haven't been transformed? Yeah. Because the way, in fact, we live on mission is to demonstrate the transformation in our life. And so Armin read all that from verse 1, which is always a good idea to read the front and back of whatever the chosen text is. Yeah. But the murder, the malice, the slander, the lying. And then compare that to verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Mm. Honor the emperor. That's a different lifestyle. That's a transformed life. And what happens in between verse 1 and 17 is we come to the saving knowledge of the person and work Jesus Christ and are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live it appropriately. Yeah. So transformed lives are the best witness. Transformed lives are the witness to which Christ has called us. And the transformed life is an obedient life. And obedience only comes as a function of one's submission to the Spirit's work in your life. So I encourage you to continually submit daily to develop the practices and habits necessary for you to submit to the work, conviction, etc. of the Spirit in your life. We want to be a people that teach and lead a people who demonstrate their understanding by their obedience. That's when we can claim success.